Welcome listeners, one and all, welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And I'm about to go out and buy whatever perfume Kate wears. Why? Because he's so obsessed with the way she smells, especially in this episode. He's just like, oh, I want to breathe you in type thing. And they get all close and then he just like breathes her scent in. <laughs> to be fair, that's a, it's a weird trope in period dramas. So much so that when we first got together, I'm like, why does he never say I smell good? Like, because it's like really? this. Yeah, I, I just thought like maybe you thought I stunk all the time. But I think it's just, it's a plot device, isn't it? It's not really, I don't know that there's loads of guys going around being like oh she just smells good all the time i mean most of the time i prefer for there to be no smell about me in general and other people like it's just because for whatever reason scents are uh, very overpowering to me and it can uh, very easily give me a headache i've like, heard that from a lot of guys so i i feel like this is just more of a a plot thing but It'd be nice if you told me that I smelt good every now and then, okay? Yeah, so I was thinking um, it's like that whole love languages thing. Clearly, all of the writers <laughs> of Regency romances are like, oh, I just really want the men in my life to tell me that I smell good. And all the men are just like, why do they keep doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why do they talk about this all the time? Uh, well, if you're new with us here... What we tend to do on the episodes is we talk about some period drama news. We talk about some main moments throughout the episode, which this episode is number four, Victory. And then we end on a history moment where we talk about a historical aspect that's been covered in this particular episode. So what is the period drama news? So the biggest thing that's happened in this last week, which I'm kind of excited about, is we finally got a date announced for this new persuasion that's coming out, which is July 15th. Uh, it's coming out on Netflix, and it stars Dakota Johnson. Going to be honest with you, I'm not excited about this casting. She's um, she's the girl from Fifty Shades of Grey. It's going to be interesting to see if she can kind of pull off a character like Anne Elliot in kind of these Jane Austen communities. They're looking at it with a side eye, and I'm a little bit that way too. I'm apprehensive, but I'm also hopeful. I think Persuasion is one of Jane Austen's best works. It's my favorite novel. So yeah, it... A really exciting that that's been announced. It would be really cool to cover that on the podcast when it comes along in July. So look out for that. Regency Core is now the number one kind of search thing on the internet. It's, oh, yeah, interesting. It's one of the top things being searched on the internet and it's um it's now kind of dominating culture um so why is this regency thing so popular now and it is because of bridgerton if you'd have told me at 15 that there would be a period of time when regency would be the thing i would say you were lying because when i was in high school everybody was kind of obsessed with twilight harry potter um marvel stuff was really big and i felt kind of left out because I wasn't into those things at that time. It's not to say I didn't enjoy going to the theater with friends, but I think that I lived in a bit of a silo. And I think there was a lot of people now that I'm an adult who I talk to and they're like, yeah, when I was in high school, I thought I was the only person that was into Jane Austen or Regency stuff. I thought I was kind of alone. And, you know, I went to watch some of the Regency movies like Pride and Prejudice with my mom because it's not like I had a friend group that I would go with and type type thing and I was that type too and I could have I could have really used that at 15 it being 
popular and it being like everybody's dressing up in the Regency era and rereading Austen and trying out Georgette Heyer. And, and so it's just, it's fascinating to me now that this is the thing, you know, if you'd have told me back when Twilight was huge, well, guess what? Like, that's going to be the Regency era when you're in your 30s. I would have been like, it will never be a thing. I can't believe it. I still can't believe it, but I love it. And I'm soaking every minute of it up. I mean, it is interesting that you say that when <laughs> when, when we first started dating, it was around that time anyway, they brought out Pride and, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. And we went to see that at the theater with friends. That's when we um, were dating. And I was I remember being so annoyed. Yeah, because that was the first ever adaptation of Jane Austen that I'd seen. That you were ever exposed to was that. And I was so annoyed because I was like, this out of all things, this is your first exposure to it. I don't I don't necessarily equate Pride and Prejudice and Zombies with the Regency era necessarily. I just see it as a fantasy. And I I've read quite a few things that are in that vein anyway. They're called alternate histories. Right. And I really like them. I think they're really fun. Well, and it keeps the same storyline, doesn't it? It is very close. The the book um adaptation of Austen's novel before the film is very close to the original text well no it, they they keep the original text in and just add in zombie elements yeah, that's what i'm saying yeah 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 so close like word for word in in a lot of cases i've not read it but i would be interested to i think i've never read anything with zombies in them but i i ended up enjoying the film at the end of the day so i would try it out anything in the regency era i'll try it out i'll give it a go so on to the recap so much whispering and breathing and secrecy. Don't you love when I do these? Yeah, sure. Edwina's plan to push for Kate to play nice with Anthony and make friends with her so he can finally propose is in full effect. This turns into Kate joining the all-men hunting party as she is known to be a good shot. We don't actually ever see if she is a good shot in this. We don't know. In the woods, separated from the rest of the party, the two surprisingly argue yet again. Unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly. And Anthony thinks everything is her fault, despite him being the one who is looking at her in a particular way. The two keep getting closer and closer as Anthony attempts to show Kate how to shoot. She knows how to shoot, she says, but we haven't seen her shoot. No, we did. There was, there was a flashback. Was there? Yeah, there was a flashback scene. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, maybe she, she's shot things, but I haven't seen her like be successful at it where like a bird fell from the sky or anything. We just know she can hold a gun and pull a trigger. So anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but the party catch up with them and the two separate. Meanwhile, another sexually and mentally frustrated Bridgerton male, Colin, pays a pointless visit to Marina, who has now moved on with her life and is content with her new husband. When he tries to talk to her about the two of them and what happened, she cuts him off promptly and tells him her life is none of his concern. And he needs to recognize the people around him who do love him, one of which is named Penelope. Colin, please see Penelope. Although uh, in the write-up here, you've missed out one of the really interesting things about that scene is that Marina's husband comes home. Yes. And him and Colin get on like a house on fire. Yeah, that, that was a bit weird, but those kind of things do happen. Yeah. Back at the Bridgerton household, Edwina pushes Kate about how things went with Anthony during the hunt, 
but we can see that Kate is starting to see she has a real issue on her hands when it comes to Anthony. Later during the house party, when more guests have joined for a ball, Edwina pushes Kate to dance with Anthony so he can ask for her blessing for them to marry. During the dance, the two seem far too preoccupied with gazing into each other's eyes than putting a truce aside for Edwina. Just when it seems like Anthony wants them to really voice how they feel for each other, Kate tells him that she's returning to India after he and Edwina wed. This makes Anthony so mad that he quits dancing and runs off into the library. The drama. Agitated, she follows him into the library where the two have the most passionate and heart-wrenching row. He's angry at her. She's definitely angry at him. Which, of course, soon melts into them being so close to one another, they can barely breathe. He whispers into her ear sweet nothings, and Kate can hardly contain herself. They're just on the verge of kissing when another thing interrupts them. This time, it's in the form of Daphne, who has a role reversal with her brother this time. He then follows his sister, despite what should have been a productive conversation about him following his heart. Anthony does the exact opposite and proposes to Edwina instead. <laughs> Typical Anthony. So, initial reactions to this episode. I feel like this is a slow burn, tension-filled episode. And I'm so impressed how tense and uptight and breathy these scenes are and how they make us so anticipate what's going to happen between them but they keep breaking those moments i i don't think i've ever seen a period drama do this in such an intense way over and over again where we're like oh my gosh they're gonna kiss it's gonna happen look how close they are and then they don't most period dramas will maybe give you one of those scenes but it's throughout this entire season and i'm kind of here for it i keep wanting those moments to happen and those moments are more exciting to me and i want to know what happens with those 10 times more than if people just make out i'm i'm like glued to the tv waiting for those moments to happen more than i am for people to kiss interesting i don't know what it is yeah but there's so much more power and mystique in a mere look than a bunch of like minutes of people just smacking on each other so that's gross <laughs> smacking on each other Oh, you couldn't have said that in a worse way. No, in fact, you could have, so don't. Um, I think with this episode, uh, the fact that Edwina is is so much like, oh, you hate each other and he's not going to propose to me. Um, so I really need you to start liking one another. I, it's just so funny because she's the only one that doesn't see it. At this point, we've got Daphne, Violet, and Lady Danbury that are kind of suspecting She's the most blind out of everyone. Yeah. 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 And that yeah. continues. And, and that's, you know, that's part of the whole naivety of, of the character and stuff. But anyway, I just think it's it's really, I, I want to say funny, but also not <laughs> because it's kind of like heartbreaking in a way because it's like, oh, you are going to be your own downfall. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. I was, as I was writing the note here, I was trying to think of the right word for it. And I couldn't think of what it really makes me feel other than like amused they are both like, I secretly burn for him or whatever. Edwina doesn't see it. And she's like, go, go, play nice, please. And she's physically putting the two two of them in, in these situ yeah. situations without knowing it. Right. She's like, yeah. you must go on the hunt. <laughs> it's so unfortunate that she's she's doing that to them because like she's the one that is is fueling their um, 
their growing love for one another. I feel like it's never a good sign when you are pushing your siblings to make an effort and care about the person that you're going to marry. Presumably, if they liked that person enough, then they would make an effort. Like it in a, in a normal situation where these two didn't have a secret thing going on, if your sibling was like, I do not care about speaking with them more when they're engaged to you that's a red flag in and of itself like that would be it like it, the the fact that Kate doesn't like him and Edwina supposedly should have all these other suitors that she could see something with and the fact that Kate doesn't like him for whatever reason would be a red flag to me but Edwina just keeps going I don't I don't on on her end like I feel sorry for what's happened with Edwina altogether but on her end I feel like she is, like you said, she is her own downfall in that way. Yeah. Because she's ignoring a very early on red flag, whether or not Kate and Anthony care for each other. It's difficult, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it is a red flag. On the other, she just thinks that Kate is being obstinate. Because mm. when Anthony's around, Edwina's like, oh, isn't he amazing? Because she hasn't seen those other things that Kate saw. I mean, to be fair, Kate is responding in a very overblown, over-the-top way to the things that he's done because of all these different things. I mean, that's just the dramatization of it. Dramatization? Yeah, dramatization of it all. So anyway, um, so I really... <laughs> I thought the way that Daphne catches them in the library, um, much in the same way that Anthony caught her in the Duke in the garden in season one, was just perfect poetic justice. It was so funny. And then, you know, the silly man goes and does the exact same thing that, in a way, Edwina's doing and, like, ruins the situation for himself by, by doing the proposal. So they're both, they're both as silly as one another. Yeah. So some of the main moments on this episode. So when Colin goes to Marina and kind of tries to have some kind of resolution there, my cynical self sees it just as the show producers, creators kind of going, haha, how do we um, have this link to the previous season where people really liked this character? Yeah. Um, And then the kind of the more romantic side of me, I guess, is like, oh no, it's nice. He wants some kind of um closure. But then it's not just like this nice, I'm going to go and see how she's doing. It's like a, I think you're probably lonely and miserable. So let's like hook up or whatever it is. I don't know what he thought to get out of it see that's the weird thing to me i don't know what his motivations are they don't really make that clear to you i don't i don't know if that was intentional for us to just not know but was his intention to be like she's unhappy so therefore i want to go talk to her because but because it's the regency era and she can't just walk out of marriage what did he think was gonna she's in that situation now so what did he think was going to happen by him coming and seeing her yet again just on the side I don't, but Colin's not like that. That's what doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, he, he clearly thought that their connection was strong enough that the marriage wouldn't matter. But see, to me, it doesn't make any sense because it's not like he was the guy that she was in love with. She didn't care for either one of them. She didn't care for Colin. He was her ticket to be, not be ruined because she was pregnant. She didn't want to be with him in the first place. He was an ends to a means to an end, means to an end. So I really feel like for him, he thought that their relationship was bigger than it was. It right. was yeah. one-sided 100%. Well, I mean, in some ways, that's the um, arrogance of the Bridgertons. Mm. I've not thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the kind of 
the thing that the Bridgerton men, they're so important in, in the ton that they think that a lot of things revolve around them. I mean, in a lot of ways, Colin is so airheaded. And he's young and naive. Right. That you kind of, you can kind of see how it came about. However, like I said before, though, with the the husband coming back. Yeah, they started connecting with his travels in some way. And it was some very nerdy thing. She was getting very annoyed because it's like, nope, he needs to leave. Yeah. And and then her husband's like, no, he he can stay for dinner. Do Do you want me to be honest? I think you would be that person. Huh? You would. What? I, I I don't have like a string of exes, but I just feel like you... Oh, and I do. Well, <laughs> I just feel like that would be a thing if I, if I did, and it was an ex you'd never met before and that sort of thing, and, and he'd come around to the house. You totally would be the type that if he was like, oh yeah, I like Warhammer, he'd be like, here's my, here's my collection. I just think you, that would be you. You would be one of those, and I would be sitting there going, oh my gosh, I was almost getting him out the door, and here you are showing him your toys. Are we serious? Yeah, you would be that person. <laughs> Yeah, generally, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be rude or mean to somebody in... But some of that is also um, security, right? So if you were insecure in our relationship, you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, get out of my house. Why were you here in the first place? But you would have enough security in us to know that if an ex of mine was sitting in our living room, that you just wouldn't go, oh, they're having an affair. You would go oh, hey, like, who are you? And I'd be like, oh, he's dropped by for a cup of tea. And you'd be like, oh, do you want to see my Warhammer collection? Because you're secure with I us. I mean, that's not, it wouldn't just come out like no, that. No, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I I could see that happening. And I could also see how it happened with her husband because they have that same situation. No, she's not madly in love with him, but they're content with each other and they're secure with each other, which is why I think that's happened. And he also does seem like that nerdy type that just wants to share something that he's interested in. And Colin is the same. He he obliges. But I, I think going back to what we were talking about motivations, I've had a bit of a thought. And to me, he kind of was saying to Penelope how he hadn't let go of her yet. Like, talking about his travels. He, he's had a couple different conversations with Penelope about his travels and basically that he can't get her off his mind. He's gone to the four corners of the earth or whatever. And he's, he's still thinking about Marina. And so what I kind of think is, is that he showed up at her house, not because he wants to have some sort of sordid affair with her, but because he wants, he wants to know if she's felt that too. He wants to feel like, okay, yeah. I've thought of you all this time. I can't get you out of my head. I've traveled the world and I still care about you. And in some weird way, he wants her to respond and say, I have too. And that's all he really wants. He wants to know that he's not crazy and that it's it's not unrequited. But she doesn't tell him that. It is unrequited. It's always been unrequited. And it's not really until that moment that he knows it. It's. It wasn't last season that he figured it out. Yeah. It's this season. Yeah. Okay. I. I can see. I, I. see what you mean. And so that. That does take on a little bit of a less sinister cast then. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. I, I would. I would agree with that. This is one of the things I wanted to ask you. So with these tension-filled moments in the library, when Anthony's like, "Tell me you don't care for me," just because because he says to Daphne after after that scene, he runs off and says to Daphne, nothing's happened, so therefore I don't have to do anything. Whereas, like, her and the Duke, they they had, like, you know, 
smacked on each other. (laughs) But do you think, even though things haven't got physical, that he's gone too far? Or is he right? Nothing's happened, so he doesn't have anything to feel guilty about. Okay, so this is clearly a trap. How's it a trap? Dear listeners, my wife is trying to entrap me. Help. (laughs) Call the police. So, um... If he if he has already given Edwina cause to believe that they're going to get together and things, then yes, like, personally, I think he's going a bit far with Kate. However, based on the social contracts of the time, he he's right. Like, nothing has happened because... Physical. Right. No, yeah, yeah. Because there were all of these cases, we've seen it in, like, loads of different um, period drama stuff, where people withhold their feelings... And until someone actually says the words, I love you, I want to be with you, or until they physically, I was going to say touch, but I guess it's just kiss, really. Um, Until they do one of those things, they haven't actually crossed the line. I mean, I think he's stupid for, for saying that nothing's happened, because he clearly knows that they both want something to happen. And he's saying things in her ear like, tell me you don't care about me. He knows. He knows he's crossed some sort of emotional line for sure. No, but okay, but it depends on what you mean by crossing the line. So if you mean crossing the line in the sense of he's done something wrong because of how he feels for Kate and yet what he's doing for Edwina, then no. You don't think he has? No, because, because socially he hasn't made that step for Edwina. He... Do you know what I mean? Like he hasn't he hasn't been that physically close. He hasn't like actually come out and said in public um he wants to marry her. Um He proposes right at the end, doesn't he? Yeah. Of this episode. Okay, fine. Right, 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 right. So before that point, before he actually stands up in public and says, I want you to marry me, it's basically it's that thing of like, look, you need to tell me now how you feel, or it's too late. Because as soon as he goes and says the words to Edwina, or to another woman, doesn't really matter, but I mean in general, that is the point of no return. Socially, honourably, etc, etc. I just think he would have red flags all over him if he was alive today, obviously. Yeah, but things are done differently now. In a lot of ways, some people would say Edwina knew what she was stepping into because he already told her, look, I'm not interested in love. This would be a contract, yada, yada, yada. So we're talking about a society here where the first step is to get married. Literally the first step. You're not allowed to be alone without that, really. So that is so vastly different from today. It's unbelievable. So, I, I mean, I think that the kind of people who go and date multiple people without telling them i think that's wrong you know but but it is still quote-unquote acceptable in certain circles there are people on both sides of the the gender divide that like that will will go and date multiple people and they consider that acceptable i i personally don't but you know i think we're living in a day and age where that's not defined so in the 1950s dating was that you would take different girls on drives and out, you know, for a milkshake or whatever. And dating was not about going steady, which is another term for the 50s. It, it wasn't about being in a relationship necessarily. Dating was the process of finding the right person for you. So it was going on dates with different people. And everybody was aware that that's what dates were. It, it wasn't it wasn't seen as some sort of commitment, whereas now the the definition of dating has changed. Dating now is I am in a relationship with a person. And so... I think, but 
it's so hard though because you say that and and a lot of what you say there is like is quite american because when i was younger we didn't have the concept of dating as much there was no real sense of taking a girl out for coffee and that's like a date you know what i mean okay interesting yeah yeah so so for us um at least you know high school kind of time it wasn't ever a case of oh i'm dating this person that was a very american term it was um you were going out is the term and and if you were going out with one another that meant that you were girlfriend and boyfriend so basically what you're saying is is that you're all friends in a friend group and then you just text somebody you like and say do you want to go out with me and they say yes but there wasn't a process of like on date three we did this we went to play putt putt on date four no okay no Interesting. So, yeah i mean uh hey i'm not saying that i had a a typical uh upbringing when it comes to this or anything i, I was pretty awkward i i would say so so i don't know maybe parts of the uk did have a dating culture i don't think so though and this is you know early 2000s i'm talking about here things have changed to be more american in that sense dating is a thing that you hear about now reality tv shows that have got like dates as part of them and, and people will talk about that in britain now um so yeah that that did slowly change so dating in some ways is is obviously a very adult thing because you've got the money to to take people out on dates whereas teenagers and kind of college age people it is just kind of like hey you want to meet me somewhere type thing or slide into my dms or whatever but i think there's there is a lot of conversation around dating today especially in the states around situationships and ghosting and that sort of ah. thing where dating experts are pushing especially men to voice that they are dating multiple people so it's they're not saying hey you're a terrible person because you're seeing multiple people and you're not settling down with one and just dating one person at a time you're a bad person because you're keeping that secret to all of these people so that's yes. why you look bad yeah and and being open and honest with people that makes you less of an a-hole and it also keeps people from stds if they are active so <laughs> so i know. think that that thing you you mentioned there about like exclusivity and things obviously in the regency era it's all about exclusivity because it's it's all about the honor it's all about like you know protecting um family lines and things like lineages and things like that right and i think that that is something that perhaps continued in british tradition until much more recently but it's also like you were saying in terms of having the ability and money to do that in the 50s in britain so so yeah uh, definitely an interesting comparison there and this last kind of main moment here when anthony proposes to edwina and we can see kate's facial expressions she's expecting him to come up and propose to her she says of course as he puts his knee down to edwina what are her thoughts what are our feelings? Are we okay? So, um, remind me, this this is the outside of the house, aren't they? They're about to um, get back in the carriage to they're go. They're about to leave after this big house party. Sure, sure. And then, yeah, and then he, like, they're all outside and he comes running out. He comes running out. And I can't remember if it's before or after, but he's like, I've got something to ask you. And Kate says, of course. And he gets down on one knee and asks Edwina instead. Yes. And I just think that Kate's reaction in that moment is so perfect. We're kind of seeing, she's keeping it together, but it's it's like watching an, an actor at a 
press junket where somebody says an awful question in an interview and they're trying to hide their facial expressions, but their micro micro expressions can't hide it. And that's exactly what happens here in that moment. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of like a moment of empathy, of, of just like being really sad for her because like this is the moment where she's like, I've got feelings and oh no, he's now proposed to my sister. What do I do? I'm very cynical about men besides you. I love you so much. And I... She just tried to reach across the microphones <laughs> and like rest a placating hand on me but don't worry she's not getting dinner tonight i love you no you don't (laughs) but i feel like in that moment if i were kate all of the things that have happened with anthony up until now hearing him in the garden talk to those other men treating women as if they're cows and wed bread and bed thing that he was going on about and all these kind of things to do with her sister and, and how he's being so pushy and stuff this is the worst of them. And the reason why it's the worst of them is because he is willing to do all of that with Kate behind closed doors and still propose to Edwina. So to me, if he's willing to do all of those things and still propose to her sister, now he is the biggest walking red flag to me about my sister. Separating my feelings from him completely, he is now the biggest red flag to my sister. Oh, from her point of view. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. see what you're saying, sorry. So, um, yes, however, so here's the thing. He says to her, give me a sign, and she doesn't. Okay, okay. And so in his mind, he's like, all right, obviously I know what I need to do. And it, and so he does the thing that's, that that Honor tells him he needs to do for his family, you know? Like, that's yeah, what he kept, kept talking about. Yeah, but he's doing this stuff so quickly. The The line has been crossed once you ask somebody's sister out. Once you propose to somebody's... <laughs> he didn't ask her out. <laughs> he proposed to her. Once you propose <laughs> to somebody's sister, your chances of getting with that person are very low at this point. <laughs> Very low. Very, very low. Excuse me, they should be zero. Exactly. So he's done messed up, but anywho. So history moments. This is the part of the podcast where we we take a moment from the episode um, that is historical or um, that we look at the historical aspect of it. Are you laughing at me? Did I mess that up? No, you just have a lot of notes here. Strap in, everybody. I'm excited. Oh, okay. Um, We also don't have tons of time left. (laughs) because we've talked for quite a while um i thought for this history moment that we talk about the history of hunting or hunting in the regency era because obviously that was a major component of the episode so in the elizabethan era obviously a little bit before just you know a couple of years before when bridgerton was set right i'm joking i was trying to get a rise out of my wife didn't really work (sighs) so in the elizabethan era Hunting was not the kind of formal exercise that we see in Bridgerton and other kind of um, period dramas, uh, Downton Abbey, for example. It was more a form of pest control. So farmers would use their dogs and chase down the foxes that were bothering livestock because obviously that was their livelihood. That was very important that they kept their animals safe. Um, And I don't know how much our listeners know about the UK, but we don't have very many natural predators on the isle. Um, foxes are pretty much the largest one. Uh, the wildcats in Scotland are probably about the same size. So um, the first kind of uh, hunt that we have recorded evidence of was in 1534. 
a Norfolk farmer, used his dogs to catch a fox, which consisted of hunting on foot and trailing the animal back to its den. Foxes were thought to be vermin and were left to the commoners to hunt because the upper class would, were too good for foxes. So nobility and, and royalty would hunt deer, um, stag, uh, stags in particular, for the, for the antlers and whatnot. And that was something that was kind of more revered. The fox was seen as something that only commoners would do. However, hunting with dogs dates back as far as the Roman era in Britain. Britons of the time were using running hounds to track prey, which very specifically were only for tracking prey. Sight hounds, on the other hand, such as greyhounds or Irish wolfhounds, were prized for their visual acuity um, and the speed, so basically they were able to silently stalk the prey and eventually take it down themselves, which is very different from the dogs that would literally just track the, the animal that you were hunting. Then uh, a, the kind of next category of hound is a scent hound, um, which our beloved griffin falls into, or would have if he, you know, had any any working dog in him. Um, so <laughs> He's a very pampered pooch. Yeah. So um, scent hounds, um, as you may think, were valued for their sense of smell, generally used in a pack that was known as a cry of hounds which is a very interesting collective noun there as i said typically no nobility would hunt deer and that required great tracts of land because deer um, were much faster able to go for much further distances than foxes and by the regency period we actually see that hunting is no longer a poor man's game um they were actually it was a very popular pursuit for those that had the time to spare which i.e nobility landowners and landed gentry however by this time we see that the right to hunt was actually limited to landowners so owners of land worth 100 pounds a year people who leased land worth 150 pounds a year the eldest sons of squires or persons of quote-unquote higher degree and owners of franchises were the only ones allowed to hunt which actually apparently led to some interesting cases where squires didn't have enough land to hunt. They didn't have £100 worth. However, their eldest sons were still able to because they're the eldest son of a squire. Interesting. Hmm. So those who were not qualified to hunt were not allowed to own sporting dogs, which are the hounds that are typically bred for, um, for hunts, and um, bloodhounds and the type. So to hunt one generally owned the land or one would be invited to hunt by the owner of the land and you had to be very careful that you were definitely invited poachers were not tolerated and they would face some serious charges if caught um which included deportation or hanging um yeah very very serious the end of the Napoleonic Wars resulted in an economic depression and many farm workers were out of work, unable to feed their families. Poaching was widespread and very profitable, much like uh, bootlegging was during the Prohibition. So in 1817, the Ellenborough Act increased the penalty for poaching to transportation to Australia and, as in the Prohibition era, the violence surrounding poach poaching ramped up. That's crazy. So transportation to Australia doesn't just mean that they give you a nice cruise to a very nice country. It was at the time the basically the prison isle of the British Empire. 
Um, I mean, I knew that about Australia, about it being kind of founded by prisoners in a way, but the the fact that it would be something just like poaching that would send you to Australia, that's in, extreme to me. Yeah, uh, it, poaching is an interesting thing um, because obviously, so in the UK, if a tract of land is called a forest, that's a very specific name given to to wooded land that was owned by the king or the queen. If it isn't a forest, it's just a woodland. Obviously, poaching was a, a big problem because any animal on the king's land, you're effectively stealing from the king. And so they were like, well, that's that's not something that we can allow. Um, and it, it got to the point where, like it says, sent people off to Australia or just had them hanged. From what I could see, few women um, rode in fox hunts during the Regency period. It took great skill and courage for anyone really but women to join the hunt in particular because in those days side saddle um or the side saddle rather lacked the leaping horn which offers a much more secure seat and made taking fences safer i can't remember if kate was riding side saddle i don't think she was i don't no. think she is at all um which is probably historically inaccurate hmm. i think in downton abbey an article i found the eldest daughter i forget her name mary yeah she rides side saddle Typically they do in, in period dramas, but I do not remember Kate riding side saddle. No, I, I don't at all. Um, so, so yeah, that's possibly one reason that um, women didn't participate as much. Um, however, later in the century, they did start participating more. So today, fox hunting with dogs is illegal in the UK and has been since the Hunting Act 2004, which stated hunting wild mammals with a pack of dogs three or more, in the traditional style, is unlawful in England and Wales from the 18th of February 2005. However, exemptions stated in Schedule 1 of the 2004 Act permits some previously unusual forms of hunting, um, which kind of include hunting for the purpose of enabling a bird of prey to hunt the wild mammal. I'm not sure why they made that distinction. This Act was and still is controversial, the passing of that Hunting Act um, was notable in that it was implemented through the use of the Parliament Acts 1911 and 1949 after the House of Lords refused to pass the legislation, despite the House of Commons passing it by a majority of 356 to 166. There were considerable opposition to the ban at the time, and nearly half a million people marched in support for fox hunting. Scotland, which has its own devolved parliament, restricted fox hunting in 2002, which was more than two years before the ban in England and Wales. Traditional fox hunting is not illegal in Northern Ireland, however. Today, a hunt, capital H, is a basically like a club, a membership. Um, it's a part of the um, traditions and... Um, people will go on them still, and there's certain ways that you legally can hunt. There's there's still lots and lots of controversy over it. Um, I am um, curious about the fox. Why um, are groups that do hunt so interested in in foxes in particular? I guess in the states there's there's so many animals that you could hunt that foxes aren't definitely aren't up at the top. Do people eat foxes? No, not at all. The, fox hunting. Um, is not hunting for meat. The um, uh, the purpose of hunting is, uh, and historically, the purpose of hunting 
was to watch the dogs work and um those who would gallop wildly or jump too many fences were um looked down upon and kind of ridiculed for not being proper hunters i think the people that hunt in the uk and the people that hunt in the us are a different group of people i think oh, yes. hunting in the us i mean in the uk is definitely seen as a very upper class thing not not to say that like people in the u.s who who hunt are lower class or anything no you you don't have the upper class in the u.s though. right right but but what i'm saying it is it is seen as something that you know these proper people do yeah. whereas in the u.s anyone could be interested in hunting no matter yeah you know yeah. their social status but it's it's not as accessible in the uk to be able to hunt no, and so no. really only the upper class can even afford to do it well the middle class do as well so okay. there was there was a kind of a rise in participants in hunting as the middle class got more and more you know capable of of affording it i just think it's interesting because most of people's representations of of hunting in the uk is through period dramas so watching shows like bridgerton especially shows like dowden abbey a lot of people's knowledge of it is clearly through watching them so it's um that's really interesting to hear kind of the backstory of that so thank you so what i'll do is i'll give you some of the links there that i i used and if you want you can put them in the show notes cool i will stick those in the show notes well we're just going to wrap up here at the end of the episode i wanted to kind of look through the songs that were in this season I felt like the songs didn't feature as much as they did in the first season. So I'll just list some of the ones that you might recognize from season two. So here are all the kind of recognizable songs. Um, Stay Away by Nirvana. Material Girl by Madonna. I did notice that one. Diamonds by Rihanna. Did not notice that one. Dancing on My Own by Robin. You Oughta Know by Alanis Morissette. I did not recognize that one at all. I don't know if I can say this. Um, okay. Kabi Kusi Kabi Gam by Lata Mangeshkar. I'm really sorry. Mangeshkar. Mang- Mangeshkar. Thank you. Sign of the Times by Harry Styles. What About Us by Pink. I think I do remember What About, what about Us. us. Mm-hmm. How Deep Is Your Love by Calvin Harris and Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Interesting. I feel like I should have remembered that one, but I don't. I I feel like I didn't recognize as many of them from the onset that I did in the first season. They weren't as prevalent or easy to recognize. I feel like some of these songs really do fit well with orchestral music, like Sign of the Times and What About Us. Those fit very well. Like when I went back and listened to some of them, they fit just fine with people dancing in the background, but some of them were clunky and weird to make in an orchestral way. So I don't know that they should have been used because I didn't recognize what the songs were and that it it's, makes it a bit too plunky to take these pop songs and turn them into these versions for, for Bridgerton. So, yeah. Interesting. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Regency Rumors. We've got some really fun stuff coming up. I'm excited about some of the episodes that we're going to be doing in the future. We're um, going to be doing Emma, recapping Emma from uh, 2020. We have an interview coming up that is about season one of Bridgerton, and we're hoping to do an episode on Sanditon. 
please do leave a review for us on Apple or on Spotify. It really helps us be able to be seen and to keep doing what we're doing. And we just love to know what you feel about the podcast in general. So if you have liked our episode, please do give it a review. Put some great stars in there. All right. It's time for cookies. I made cookies earlier today, but you don't get any of them. <laughs> I've already had three. You've had three of them already? I didn't even say you could have any. Oops. You've ate three of them? Yeah. Well, we're going to the gym now. Fine. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.